and welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. This week, I'm the boss, I'm the host, I'm Dan Friedman, I'm a contributor, a regular contributor to Book and Film Globe, uh, and I'm kind of hosting the show because this week's guest is the editor-in-chief, uh, Neil Pollock. So welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, Dan, how are you? It's nice to uh, be on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, it's uh, well, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say, but I have to warn you, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, knife edgy over there. Yeah. And we've asked you on the show because you've got a new book out. Uh, it's called, uh, it's got a very short title and a very long title. Um, it's The Edge of Safety, the very true story of how the citizens of Canada had the courage to stay at home so no one ever died. Uh, and it's a satirical novel, as, uh, as, uh, as I hope our listeners can understand. Uh, and it's about Amelia Stewart, who's a Canadian citizen uh, in the near future, where the health ministry is in charge of, uh, well, everything, really. Uh, and in a poke at pandemic restrictions, everyone in the book stays at home, or everyone in Canada, anyway, at least, stays at home safely, alone, and is provided for, but of course has no f- real freedom. So Edge of Safety, from which the book takes its title, is an iconic edutainment soap that dramatizes the dangers of veering from health ministry edicts. Uh, And the novel itself starts when Amelia and her small dog, Little Miss Daisy, get accidentally caught up in the resistance. And so is is that about it? What else? What do our listeners need to know? I I would say that's the basic premise. Yeah. It is a, a satire of, I mean, obviously we're still in the COVID era to some extent, but is a satire of sort of the height of the COVID era and the height of uh, Western lockdown culture and all the restrictions that that came about because of it. So, so it is a pandemic novel, and and I I referred to this as a pandemic novel at one point in an early email before I'd read the book to you, and uh, and you said it's not just that. So, so tell us how it's not just a pandemic novel. It's a pandemic novel in the sense that I wrote it. I was inspired by what was going on politically during the pandemic, but there's not an actual pandemic ongoing. It's set in the future. I don't know, a hundred years, you know, some near, near future, not like distant future. And uh, there's not a pandemic ongoing. It's just, there are just these rolling lockdowns that the government announces periodically without giving any specific reason, but the citizenry for the most part has learned to comply with these lockdowns and even learned to kind of, it's just like a like a, a society wide Stockholm syndrome. They've learned to embrace and love and appreciate it. And in fact, people like Amelia make a living encouraging people to be kind and to stay home and to follow the restrictions. And, and the economy has completely reformed itself around these restrictions. And so, you know, it's a satire of of what might have happened if everybody had taken this seriously. And so, you know, it doesn't take into account some of the um you know, for instance, if you look at the recent lockdowns in Beijing and Shanghai, those were much darker and weirder and more draconian than what I describe in the book. This is a sort of a safer, gentler, kinder, more Canadian style. You know, it's, it's definitely, I think the, um, yeah, it's definitely set in uh, a satirical Canada. And I just want to depress you a little bit more about the uh, about the Canadianness of it. Just because who who reads satirical novels? It's people who are maybe in uh, in a slightly more democratic bubble, right? So in, in your acknowledgements, you talk about writing this when people in your circle thought that wearing masks and social distancing, even when vaccinated, was a majority position, but it is now a fringe position. And I'm, I'm not 
sure that it's ever quite become fringe to have all those three things. So who who's the audience for this? Because I, I found, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Neil Pollock. You know, I'm going to be avowed on that. And, um, and, and I found some of the comments about um, the, the Canadian living just annoying. It just felt like you were parroting some of the anti-health conspiracy theories that were uh, that were going on. And, and so if you're annoying the liberals and you're writing about Canada and a lady with a small dog, um, it, who, who's, who's going to read your funny satirical novel about um, what happens when we lose our freedoms? Well, I think you underestimate the um, people who disagree with your general position and with my general position. I think there is a fairly broad audience of people who do read, who um, found the uh, COVID era policies kind of distasteful and dangerous and odd. And I, and, you know, I know quite a few of them. And I mean, I live in Austin, Texas, so it's obviously a blue bubble type, a liberal bubble type place. But um, I know a lot of people who are not in that bubble, who do read and who would maybe be inclined to agree with me. So I think that you underestimate the audience for this sort of book. And also like, you know, to say that it's anti-health is just, it's just simply not true. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anti-health at all. I practice yoga every day. I generally eat quite healthy. I take my vitamins. I exercise. I live a a very healthy lifestyle. I just, you know, found, um, you know, the era of um, mass masking and mandates and lockdowns and restrictions really oppressive. And I'll add too that I'm not anti-vaccine. Like I'm vaccinated. I was happy to get vaccinated. If nothing else, because it like gave me a passport to go out and do stuff. Again. <laughs> I, you know, I really enjoy doing stuff when I, when I have the opportunity to, I mean, I, I you know, and the, the irony being like staying home was no burden for me. Now I've worked at home since 1992, long before it was fashionable. So um, it wasn't an adjustment for me, except that there was just less to do when I did leave the house and there were a lot of restrictions. I, I just found the restrictions extremely onerous and I was, I was um, dismayed, honestly, at how readily and easily most of my social circle just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, okay, we're going to close the schools. Okay, we're going to close the movie theaters. All right, no public singing. You bet. We're going to remove the nets from basketball hoops. We're going to, you know, we're going to, no, no more, no more children playing together. Everyone yeah. was like, yes, of course. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of things about public health. Public health is a very broad thing. And it's not just about the prevention of one novel virus, but whatever. Like, I'm not a political pundit. I'm not out there like trying to promote some anti-vax COVID denial agenda. I understand that COVID is real. And, and most people I know have had it. <laughs> the book to me is a satire of the culture of staying home and the culture of self-regard that sprung up from it. Yeah, no, and I, th- I think there's also, it, it's a satire of people not looking past the pat marketing. You know, there's, I, I think that one of the things you do is you say, you know, it's important that it's not a pandemic novel because in 2020 and to the present day, there's clearly a virus out there that is at best, um, illness making and, and at worst fatal but in your book they've gone way past that and it's just the mechanism of institutions perpetuating the uh, you know the the responses to that that's where my concern lies and you know you keep in mind too like when amelia does spoiler alert 
you know, leave Canada <laughs> and go to the United States with the resistance, the pretty much the first thing that happens to her is that she gets very, very ill. Yeah. <laughs> because she's not vaccinated <laughs> against anything. Because, you know, Canada has prioritized um staying home and social distancing over uh, other health. So so it's like so it's it's a satire of, of a lot of different things. Yeah. And she she gets the tri- she gets the triple mu, uh, uh. Triple mu which is like a like a, like, a, like a horrifying variant of COVID that that hasn't even appeared yet, um, and, and you know and, and she's a young healthy woman and nearly perishes from this yeah. this thing. So you know my concern is that people kind of sat back and for mostly for the best of reasons, just allowed uh, their essential freedoms to vanish overnight. And I, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stomach it. Like I found it, I found it kind of, I found it very distasteful. Um, I, I feel like maybe there could have been a way to, um, to do some public health education and disease prevention that, that wasn't quite so um, draconian. And, you know, and this isn't just the United States that did this. This is a global or Canada. This is a global phenomenon. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think I think that I think that moving the certainly for U.S. readers having having the main adventures in Canada, like it, it locates it geographically, but really sort of emotionally, demographically. It's it's not it's it's a Canada of the mind rather than of the. Well, that's well, that's exactly right because you know I live in Texas and Texas was locked down sort of for about six weeks, and I you know I would drive. 15 minutes um, to the north and the world was just going on as normal. <laughs> you know, restaurants were open. People were having play dates. School, you know, schools weren't open. But, um, you know, there, there wasn't like there wasn't a, a, a serious lockdown culture, you know, whereas in central Austin, which is uh, 15 minutes in the other direction, it was a ghost town. So I got to see kind of both both sides of things. And it, it was just it was just kind of bizarre. So the United States isn't a good place to set a book like this. Because there were vastly different, there were it was cleaved down the middle. You know, there were some people who were yeah. living in, as you say, this Canada of the mind, and to some extent still are. And there were other people who just did the best they could to uh, ignore it. Yeah, I think that's right. And so, to tell us a little bit about the uh, the satirical United States of the mind that you uh, that you portray in the novel, because I think that's I think it's not essential to the novel, but it's also quite fun. Yeah, well. I kind of imagine the U.S. as more like a um, Margaritaville party republic. <laughs> I decided not to place the cap, the new capital of the United States in, in Florida because that just feels a little too on the nose for me. So I, I, I set most of my scenes in the U.S. In, in Phoenix, which exists under a gigantic air-conditioned dome. I grew up in Phoenix, so it's a place that I know pretty well. And, you know, the, the president is kind of a... Um, Snoop Dogg Monkey, basically, <laughs> right. um, you know, who like presides over an endless uh, and DJs over an endless barbecue pool party, um, but is also kind of savvy and realizes that the U.S. is is wasteful and they require some of the nat- natural resources that Canada has so lovingly conserved under its um, its uh, stay home and social distancing policies. Canada actually has water. Um, they have and they have other things. The United States can offer recipes for drinks involving tequila <laughs> <laughs> and freedom uh free guns or, or at least freely available yeah. guns and I, I don't really go too much into the gun thing but it, it's clear that the u.s is a um a more dangerous and yet more freewheeling place which i think is true 
Yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I'm glad that you said it was a, um, a Snoop Dogg Monkey because I was definitely imagining someone actually a bit better looking than. I mean, you, you don't describe him in great depth, but I was, uh, I was, I was definitely picturing someone like a better looking version of uh, <laughs> that that particular artist. Yeah, so it's like you know, it's just a it's just a rolling rolling pool party, um, which is. Uh, a best, I would say, a best case scenario for a future United States. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the rolling pool party. Just to, to be clear for the, the to the listeners, is not the um, is not the whole of the United States, but it is the uh, White House entourage. Um, and yeah, it's the capital. That's the capital. It's the capital pool party. Well, and as I point out in the book, you know, there have been good presidents, and then there have bad, been bad presidents like um, Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> and uh, and Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm actually trying to cleave this thing down the middle in a lot of ways, Dan. Like, I'm not, you know, my my goal is not to become like the MAGA novelist, the MAGA satire guy. Yeah, you know, like I don't think that's my natural constituency. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so either. But like I said earlier, I do think there is an audience for people who are disaffected by some of the um, pieties. Of of the COVID era, and that, that that's not necessarily who you might think. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And and the other interesting thing about about the uh, satire of Canada that I found interesting, just in you know, as we're potentially approaching a recession here, and we're we're forgetting even to argue about medical coverage and all these different things, is that um, Amelia d- eats delicious organic lettuce and she has health care and, uh, and a beautiful house provided for her and enough provision for her dog, Little Miss Daisy. And It's not a nightmare. It's not a nightmare in some ways. <laughs> exactly. And, I, and I've, I've done this in the past in my books too. Like there are, there are certain, every, there's no drive, you know, electric cars and, you know, it's self, self drones delivering your food and all that. Like I'm actually in favor of all that stuff, like of the sort of the more utopian version of the liberal ideal. Like I feel like that is that that's good for me. You know, like I would like to live in that society. But the the trade off is that you have to retreat to your home whenever the government tells you to. Right. That's the price you pay for living living in a a beautiful life. Yeah. No. And I think I, I think I think it's pretty clear from the book that you're. Um, so, somewhere between angry and amused, uh, amused to death at the fact that that might be a price that people had to pay. You're also talking about um, driving to uh, to movies, or one of the reasons you you were happy to get vaccinated was so you could go to movies because I know you're a, a huge movie fan. But in this novel, you have you know elevated to uh, to a, an ongoing theme uh, and also to the name of your book you know this um i guess soap opera really edge of safety and then one of the things that people did during the pandemic was stay at home and watch streaming tv increasingly bad in streaming tv i think yeah on their small screens so tell me about um what, what do you think about this uh, about t- about the tv culture about screen culture what it says about our wider culture how it reflects these types of oppressive cultures or different uh, cultures that you show in your satire here i think i mean yes we we watch a lot of tv obviously i watch a lot of tv and i go to a lot of movies i do want to say though i never actually stopped going to the movies texas quote unquote reopened 6 weeks into the pandemic and i just started going to the movies immediately and uh, you know i was i got a lot of shit for it believe me a lot of grief, but I kept doing it. But regardless, the, for the most part, what we are watching uh, both at movie theaters and on TV is escapist fare. 
right? Like there's not a lot of, there's not, a, there's no, there's no real, real propaganda on our TV telling us to stay home. But in 2020, suddenly like we were deluged by advertisements, you know, that were like promoting, you know, we're all at home now. So let's do our part, you know, and like commercials where people would like deliver food to grandma, but everyone was masked to the hilt and they would drop the food at the door and grandma would be like far in the distance, like looking through the window and all this sentimental nonsense. And I, I found it oddly propagandistic, just like, you know, during time of war. And this is in some ways very similar. It's a, it's a, it's a war on a disease, not a war on a, on a, a foreign country or on terrorism the propaganda changes to reflect that. And that's what we had here for a little bit. And so I found it, you know, amusing and also disturbing. And then occasionally you'll still see some leftover commercials. Like they're like when I watch Jeopardy in the afternoons, there's an old age home in the suburbs here who still advertises safe social distancing for seniors. And it's all these pictures of these old people exercising in the pool by themselves. And, you know, there's still some remnants of it. So I just took it to the extreme in the book that this is, um, Basically, like the only entertainment that is produced, both musically and video wise, is uh, propaganda, is government propaganda that encourages this way of life. I don't think that's actually what ended up happening with COVID because the US indus- media industry is too, you know, vast and, and, and not really controlled by the government in, in any organized sense. Yeah. No, I, th- I think I wonder how far that is because you know, because we're not able to get outside of it. So I think, yeah, I think you're right that it's not coordinated by the government, but how, uh, but I think that, you know, that what you saw on, on your screen felt more propagandistic to you than to me, because I was in New York. I, I am in New York and we really properly were locked down and we'd seen, you know, the, the vans of, 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 you know, of dead bodies being stored outside hospitals because there wasn't rooms in the morgues, you know. So we were, I think, just way more tolerant of, okay, we need to do something serious here. And, you know, so lockdown was far more than six weeks and there was not really an escape 15 minutes away. Um, but it, so, so I, you know, so I saw those TV spots as, you know, as solidarity. But, you know, one step away, you know, you're seeing it as, sort of propagandistic and I, I guess what I'm saying is that I understand I understand New York got hit really hard you know they got the first wave of COVID and it was a you know densely populated urban area that was completely unprepared to deal with this and had poor leadership on top of it all and you know it had a terrible policy of like loading COVID infected pa- patients into nursing homes which just exacerbated the situation etc cetera, etc cetera. but the vast majority of America didn't see it as solidarity. They saw it as an imposition. And it was (laughs) for a lot of people like, you know, suddenly like, wait a second, you know, we can't stay home. How are we going to educate our children? You know? And it's like, there's a reason why it's so contentious because it's not a cut and dry situation. Measures needed to be taken to protect the public health. But I feel like there was like this weird push to like reshape society completely. And whether it was for, whether you believe it was right or not, you know, my goal as a satirist is to make fun of it. Right. You know, and, and Canada, it's like Canada is like if 80 percent of the country were Democrats, you know, <laughs> right. essentially there are conservative yeah. Canadians, but there are far fewer than in the United States. You know, the United States is a very 50 50 country or 25, 25 with 50 percent, like just kind of blindly doing whatever, you know, basically apolitical consumers. Um, yeah. You know, Canada is, is, is like if everybody listened to NPR, 
<laughs> well, and yeah, CBC, right? That's what you. That, why? Why would you not? Well, exactly right. And you know, the UK was quite similar to the United States in some ways. Like there were there were a lot of people who like went along yeah. with the policies, and a lot of people who thought they were complete bollocks. <laughs> exactly. I think, that, I think that was the word they used as well. And I think what was interesting as well with the government in the in the UK was the the, the you know the government because it was a conservative government or because it was who it was just decided to relax uh, in, in a lot of ways that I think were, they painted as common sense, but were in nevertheless in the face of certain scientific um, uh, advice they were getting. But Okay. But the, the thing that united all governments was the moral hypocrisy, you know, Boris Johnson having his big parties uh, at, at 10 Downing street in the high and during a height of an outbreak where I live in Austin, Texas, I, re- I distinctly remember this was a transformative moment for me. Our mayor, Steve Adler, who's like a millionaire, multimillionaire real estate developer, like bourgeois liberal, generally decent guy. I voted for him, et cetera, et cetera. He issued a, a vital stay home alert during an outbreak in Austin in November of 2020 and through a, via a video that he taped at a condo in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, <laughs> where he was to celebrate the wedding of his daughter. Right. And I'm like, hold on a second. Why does Mayor Adler get to go to Cabo San Lucas while we have to stay at our homes? It infuriated me. And I found the hypocrisy really annoying. And also, and, and so, but that's what inspired me too. It's like, I'm like, wait a second. The people who are actually wealthy and powerful aren't doing all this shit. They're not, they're not following their own rules. So why should we? I, th- I think and didn't Ted Cruz also fly out at, at some? Ted Cruz uh, went to Cancun during the big freeze. Oh, that's right. <laughs> which is a which is a similar um, a similar mentality. He's like, well, I'm a senator. I can't help. We had this vacation planned. I'm like, you are. There are literally <laughs> thousands of people freezing to death in their homes in your state. Cancel your freaking vacation, and at least serve them some soup or something. I mean, I understand it. I, I understand like you, you can't physically restore the power grid, dude, you know, and, and, and the same thing with the, with the mayor. If like, if the mayor is going to issue a stay home order, then he has to stay home. Too. Yeah. And so, that's, and I, you know, and I think I make that power dynamic very clear uh, in edge of safety with the people who are actually in power, who actually have influence and they're, and it's not a completely egalitarian society, despite the illusion of such, um, do whatever they want, yeah. <laughs> whenever they want, with whoever they want, while the rest of the people sort of blindly like follow the propaganda. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's the uh, that's the the one of the fun things about the book, and I, I don't want to spoil the spoil. The, you you've already given some spoilers, but the uh, there's you know it's a book about clashing cultures, it's about about limited resources. There's a resistance movement. There's a an oppressive uh, Canadian uh, autocracy. Yes. So I don't want to spoil it, but but it is about power and and who is going to have it and and what they're going to do with it. Yeah, and who and who actually wields it? Um, and you know there were there was definitely a shift in the power dynamic during the COVID era. You saw it explicitly happen, and I I think it transcends po- uh, political party too. I mean, you know, you can you can call Donald Trump a science denier all you want, but the 15 days to slow the spread and all the lockdown and social distance, you know, he didn't stop the CDC from issuing its edicts, and he you know set up Operation Warp Speed to set up the vaccine, and it all just kind of the the policies weren't honestly that different between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. It's just that the the, uh, 
uh, course of the disease changed uh, with with the regime change. So I, you know, to me, like there was a there was a, a, a reshuffling uh, of power dynamics that occurred, similar to what happened after nine uh, eleven. But again, I'm not Andrew Sullivan. You know, I'm not like a, you know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm not a political pundit. So like I, I don't I don't have it. You know, I'm not like dealing with hard evidence here. My job as a satirical novelist is to shine a light on what I think are some of the hypocrisies. And, you know, and in some ways, like my work is always like made fun of liberal uh, bourgeois liberal culture. So uh, I hope that people can read Edge of Safety, you know, with a, a little bit of bemused distance, but also maybe ca- cause them to take a slight second look at <laughs> the era that is passing us by and and, and how they behaved. And it, it maybe provide a little warning for the future to maybe not um, not follow government edicts quite so religious. <laughs> and, and, and just to, to emphasize or to give you an opportunity to emphasize what, one of these things, was there a, was there a, a particular scene in the book um, that you felt came off particularly well? That was that, that you felt, Oh yeah, I really captured that particular um, hypocrisy or that particular nuance, or, or just, I really enjoyed writing you know, the, that, that thing. I, I gotta say, like, I mean, I'm personally quite proud of this book. Like, I feel like I, I took, I took something that is, is of vital importance to a lot of people and put my own weird spin on it. And I'm particularly, uh, we're not going to reveal it. And I just, this is going to encourage people to get, to pick up the book. I hope I'm particularly proud of like my last 15 pages. I feel like the, um, the, the ending I put on it, um, really kind of brings the themes of the book into focus. And I'm, I, I came up with an ending that I, f- I found very satisfying while also leaving room open for a sequel in case this becomes some sort of, <laughs> right. sort of massive cult hit. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's true that the, the denouement is, uh, is, is, is satisfying for, uh, even for me. And I was annoyed at bits of the beginning as I have, as I have testified to, um, edge of safety is available from all your good bookstores from June. What? June twentieth, June twenty one, June twenty one, because the books come out on Tuesdays. It is print on demand, though. So um, if if you want your local bookstore to to stock it, they're going to have to have to order it. So, but but any any place you can buy books online, it's uh, it's going to be available. But because it's print on demand, the price point is is actually is actually quite reasonable. Yeah, so you don't you don't need to be living in a in a wealthy um, autocracy uh, like Canada of the mind. Uh, to you just be able need to ten dollars. <laughs> you just need ten dollars. But I, I'm hoping you know I want to see what happens when Canadians read this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We want to we want to see we want to see the Canadian sales. Uh, it's going to rock it. I would be I would be fascinated to see what they are. Honestly, that's I'm hoping for something good to come out of it. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you very much for coming to be a guest on your own show, Neil. It's been a pleasure having you. <laughs> it was, it was, it was hard to schedule it, but I, I managed to <laughs> managed to somehow squeeze it in. And uh, I, I look forward to you coming back next week to uh, host somebody else entirely. Yeah, I'll interview you next time. How about that for a switch? <laughs> That'd be good when my book comes out. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. If you like this show and what's not to like, really, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
or you can listen to us on the Audio Hopper app. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. You need real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. Audio Hopper. Real news. Narrated. In the App Store.